Welcome to the official podcast of NASCA, the National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities. Here you will find conversations, lectures, and thoughts on various topics involving controlled substances. Leading experts sharing their knowledge and ideas on today's medications, dangerous drugs, and substance abuse. NASCA is an association of state government agencies, along with various stakeholders, who oversee controlled substances. Through this association, we work together to make our country, our world, a safer place. I want to thank everyone for joining us today on the program. We have a a really good program for you today, and we're going to be talking about state prescription drug monitoring programs, or PDMPs, and we're also going to contrast that with the national or the push to have a national PDMP by some, um, and what the differences are and why NASCA takes the position that we really want to stick with the state PDMPs. The first thing I want to do is introduce our guests. We have Steve from Ohio, and Steve, if you could go ahead and uh, give your name and title and a little bit of your background for our listeners, that'll help us understand who you are. Sure. My name is Steve Scherholt. I am the Executive Director of the Ohio Board of Pharmacy. I've held that position for a little over five and a half years. I'm not a pharmacist, and, and in fact, my background through the military and, and county and state agencies is, is law enforcement. Most recently, I was the assistant superintendent of the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation. I've also served a stint as a white-collar crime prosecutor in, in our state capital, uh, Franklin County, Ohio. In Ohio, our board of pharmacy, uh, we have a, an authorized strength of about 98 A large number of that number are investigative. We have administrative authority, but also criminal investigative authority. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be on this call today. Oh, thank you very much. We're happy to have you and excited to hear what you have to say as we go through the topic. Our next guest joining us is Jason from Delaware. Jason's also on the executive committee with us here at NASCA. And Jason, if you could just do the same thing and give a little bit of your background and who you are and your title, that would be that would be awesome. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Jason Slavosky, and I'm Delaware's Prescription Monitoring Program Administrator, or PMP Administrator. I joined the Division of Professional Regulation in the Office of Controlled Substances about three years ago. Absolutely enjoy it. My background, uh, I'm a, professionally, I'm a pharmacist. I received my PharmD, or Doctorate of Pharmacy, from Wilkes University in 2010, worked some jobs in clinical retail pharmacy, pharmacy management, did some work as a medical science liaison in pharmacogenomics. Uh, I've always been incredibly interested in uh, regulation compliance, though, so that's kind of been my specialty, and that's what led me to the position that I'm in today. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it, and I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. When we discuss state PDMPs versus the national PDMPs. Steve, if you could maybe outline what the differences are that you see with the state PDMPs, other than the obvious that each state has one, that sort of thing. But uh, there's been that push for a national PDMP. And and let's just discuss what the differences are or what the difference, because we don't have a national PDMP yet, but let's just talk about that just as a, a broader subject. Sure. One of the big things to me is the the incentive and the ability to innovate and implement innovation. 
I, I think we all know that if there were a national model PMP, that first of all, I know on my staff, I have our our director who wakes up every day, including weekends, and makes sure that the system is running, it's running properly, and spends his days trying to improve it. I believe that in virtually every other state, that holds true. I think if it were uh, run at a federal level, that it would be yet just another database, and I don't think it would get the attention that we and the other states provided. Also with innovation, I, I made a just a very brief list of innovations that we have implemented in Ohio in the last four years probably, but certainly integrating the PMP into the clinical workflow. We are now collecting ICD-10 data. We use the PMP to track medical marijuana dispensing. We're about to implement a drug court flag. We're about to implement a, an overdose, uh, non-fatal overdose flag, a treatment bed locator, an infant mortality risk calculator. We use other data points to uh, to target bad pharmacists or bad prescribers. And those are all things that that were born of discussion in our office and then working with our vendor and with our internal staff and implementing it, some some within just months. And I think that would be lost if it uh, if it were a national model. And and I also know that some of the things that we have implemented in Ohio, other states have followed suit. Innovation from other states, we've stolen their ideas as well. And I think that would just be lost. And let me add to that too, because I've been doing drug diversion investigations for a long time. I've been a narcotics agent for a long time. And, you know, even back when I was doing drug diversion work as a drug diversion agent and investigating cases, I was using the ORS system, your system in Ohio. And, you know, my partner and I used to always uh, talk about, so I'll compliment you quite a bit about how we always thought Ohio was ahead of the curve. You guys always seem to be innovating and doing new things and willing to try new things. And I would agree with you about that. I think if it was a national database, all of that would get lost. And, you know, Pennsylvania was always behind. So it took us years to catch up. I mean, we've had a PDMP for a long time here. Only law enforcement was allowed to see it for decades. It wasn't until 2014 that physicians and pharmacists were allowed to have access to it. And you guys have always been ahead of the curve. So um, it's kind of exciting to hear all those new innovations that are coming out. And I would agree with that. And let me turn that to Jason too. Do you have anything you want to add about, you know, your thoughts about state versus national? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I do want to agree with both of you. Um, Innovation really does beget innovation. Ohio has really always been kind of a beacon that a lot of states have followed. Um, I don't really want to call it a competition between states because states really do their hardest to to work together, but it's really great when you have states that are doing things so well to help motivate other states to want to do them just as well, if not better. So um, like I said, Ohio's kind of always led the way. They're doing great things, and, and the world of PMP admins understands that. Um, as far as state system versus a national system, 
I, I think states have the obligation to protect their patients' data. I mean, first and foremost, we each as admins, each of states, each of their own programs have an obligation to protect our state and our state's information. That's kind of lost when you have one giant repository of information. You've really lost control of your state's data at that point, and that, that should be concerning to all states. As far as those calling for a national PMP claiming that there isn't one, uh, the most recent numbers, uh, and anybody can go to this site, um, there is a site called pdmpworks.org. There are already 51 states, 51 of the 54 PMP programs that exchange their data by PMP interconnect right now. Uh, almost every state and almost every tor territory is connected and, and securely exchanging data with one another uh, at no cost to those states. So it's, it's happening and it's happening securely. Uh, I just want to make sure that that message isn't lost as people are calling for these these national models, which are just essentially national repositories or databases. Yeah, and I think you brought up a couple uh, really good points in that uh, in what you were saying as well. I mean, first thing, let's just talk about it, is cost. If we go to a national database, there's going to be uh, a cost, and it's going to be a big cost. Would you agree with that, Jason? A absolutely. Uh, at a, with, with a national program, with one single program, we really lose control of that cost. In the current system where you have multiple vendors or even a lot of states with one single vendor, we communicate each with each other constantly. So we're constantly talking about costs. We're constantly talking about things that are going on. We can control those costs by understand what others or by understanding what other states are doing and what they're paying for and what they're getting. So um, by dissolving that system, you really lose control of of any sort of uh, cost control. And Steve, you and I were talking earlier about how that idea or that, you know, that myth, the states don't share data and they're not exchanging it back and forth, is really an old argument, isn't it? That's not really what's happening anymore, just like Jason it, said. It is. It's, it's yesterday's news. You know, and, and talking about funding, I, I think federal funding is key. We, many of the innovations that, that we have put into uh, action have been funded in part through you know federal government grants and and there there are any number of opportunities for the federal government to uh to continue that i i think that's where the federal money could be spent and not either trying to develop competitive system that's already free or by developing a national national PDMP. I, I think there are better ways to spend the money. Yeah, and something else you had said in, in when you were uh, doing your opening, too, that I thought was interesting was you had said, you know, we stole the idea or some ideas from other folks, and, and, and really, you just share an information. I mean, uh, it's not really stealing as much, and I know you didn't mean it that way, but you know, but we're that's the I think that's the other key to this too is the states are able to share their expertise and and you want to share that data and how you're doing things. You know, it is essentially the best practice across. I mean, that is the purpose of NASCA is to bring us all together to learn from each other and develop this pool of expertise so that we can share what are our best practices, who's doing something well, who's doing something better. And so that we can take that back to our own states and say, let's do this. I, I don't personally have any issue with that. I think that that's the idea. Why reinvent the wheel? If somebody else has come up with it, it doesn't matter whether, you know, who gets the credit for it. It just, the idea is let's make it better for our patients. You know, you, you said a moment ago that 
your system originated as, as simply a law enforcement tool. And I, I think in large part, that's probably how Ohio started. And make no mistake about it, we use it as a law enforcement tool every day. We, Our ORS administrator has gotten to the point where I, I think he can lock himself in his room, look at the data, and and identify aberrant prescribers that are engaged in criminal conduct. And he's right. It, it just, it, it's amazing to see that work. But in addition to that, we have taken to, to turning our PMP into an indispensable tool for the healthcare community. When we started integration in 2015, I believe if we would have just flipped the switch and turned it off, in 2015, there would have been a party. I, I think a lot of the healthcare practitioners were, it was it was cumbersome to get the data and enter the data and the like. And at this point, I think if we flipped a switch to turn it off, there would be revolt because it has become an indispensable tool and it's being used at, at record numbers, some days over a, a million queries in a day. And we intend to keep pushing it that way. Our, our goal is for it to be used every patient, every time. There's also been some other, and we, we addressed uh, already the interoperability uh, issue. And Jason talked about that, where we you know discussed PMIX and the exchange and all the states that are involved, because um, I think a lot of folks are still under the impression that's not the case. Let me ask Jason this. One of the arguments, of course, when, when I think the public looks at Missouri and says Missouri has, does not have a national database, so the argument, of course, is this is why we need to have a national database to make sure that we can protect everybody across the boards, even if states don't want to. You know, maybe you could explain and let's dispel that myth right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, state of Missouri, that's, that's true. For several years now, they, they are the state who does not have a state PMP. But that does not mean that they don't have a PMP at all. So it's really important to give credit to St. Louis County, a very strong PMP program that was started out of St. Louis County and is now connected with almost every county in the state. They're actively participating. They're exchanging data. The program is being used. You know, people want to make the argument that because people aren't participating, uh, that we don't have this interoperable network. They do have the right right now to not want to have a PMP, but, you know, when states realize or counties realize how valuable this tool is and how widely it's being used, they're going to step up. And St. Louis County has already done that on behalf of the state of Missouri. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for that program. They've taken a lot of initiative and they're doing some great things in that state out of St. Louis County. One of the other things, too, is selective data issues, too. That's one of the criticism that always gets levied by some who I think just based on their criticism of it and push for the national PDMP, just says to me they don't really understand how the whole thing works because what we're talking about with selective data is there are folks that are complaining that there's no way to track or they're not tracking when someone brings in a Ford's prescript or an altered prescription into a pharmacy and then is denied. And instead of confiscating that Ford's or altered prescription, the pharmacist allows the patient to walk out with that. And then they go to another pharmacy and they try there and they get rejected. And so the thought is, you know, if we could track that. And of course, this actually is an old argument, too, because as we have electronic prescribing, that doesn't even come into play anymore, really. Um, but there still is paper. But just to to talk for a minute about 
why this isn't the case. And actually, and I'll, I'll throw it to Steve first, and then I'll talk to Jason about it, because as a pharmacist, you'll be able to explain to the folks, too, why we're not tracking when someone comes in to give an attempt or how that's not uh, possible. Go ahead, Steve. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I, I think those that argue for it are presupposing that a national PMP would track that, and I, I don't, I don't know how they would would do so necessarily and make it work. But the other thing that occurs to me is, and Jason, as a pharmacist, will be able to speak to it more. I don't know that all of it's not necessarily a forged prescription. There could just be pieces or parts of it or information that makes the pharmacist uncomfortable for whatever reason, and the pharmacist chooses to uh, decline filling it. And that does not necessarily mean it is absolutely forged or stolen, but but suspicious. And no matter if you have a, a national model or a state model without some type of legislation that says if a pharmacist is uncomfortable, the pharmacist shall seize the the prescription. I I don't think a national model solves this issue. In Ohio, we are rolling out a uh, an email alert system where if we get a report about suspected fraudulent script, uh, we can notify the pharmacy community in Ohio. And I I think that is as efficient as as trying to make a, a national PMP work in that space. Yeah, and let me, uh, and just, because uh, this is probably something you don't know, but we actually, uh, my old partner actually started a forge alert system in northwestern Pennsylvania that reached out to really eight counties. And, and that, what you're talking about is an email system, I can tell you, works fabulously. Um, we were able to get all kinds of information back and it didn't have to do with tracking. It just had to be notifying when we would get a complaint from a pharmacy. You know, we used to, in the old days, we used to have a, a phone, uh, you know, phone tree and it would always break down somewhere around the letter F, you know, where you, you'd wind up, everybody would be telling everybody else about, you know, Hey, I just had two people in here trying to pass a forged prescription. Here's the doctor's name. Here's the DEA number they used. Here's the patient name they used. This is what they look like. And we would get that information and then we would call, you know, we would have them call two pharmacies and then they'd call two pharmacies and so forth. And then it just seemed like it always broke down somewhere around F or G and, you know, somebody would forget and they wouldn't call. And, and then, uh, we, you know, we'd get another call about passing or an attempt. And we just developed this forge alert system where we would do it by the old fax machines. Now, of course, this is back in the day when we still had fax machines and we would just type up these forge alerts and send them out and they would fan out to every pharmacy in our region or we could separate it by county. So. I can tell you that that solved more cases than than you can imagine. In fact, I, I can think of one case in particular where my partner, it was a ho- on a holiday, he gets a call about a Ford's prescription, a couple guys trying to pass it up in Erie. He drives to the office, types up the Ford's alert, sends it out. As he's driving home, he gets a call from a, a pharmacy on the way home, jumps off of the interstate goes to the pharmacy, and there was a couple of guys, and they were from Philadelphia. And this turned out to be one of the largest cases Pennsylvania had in fraudulent prescriptions being sold. There were thousands of pills. That all started from that forge alert system. So that email system um, that you're talking about is going to serve you well. Not something that you know a national PDMP is going to solve. You're right. It's not going to do it. And you have to be able to communicate with those pharmacists. So 
But let me ask Jason, too, because we talk about that, too. You really can't track that. You know, the criticism is that we don't have the ability to track when someone's trying to pass a forward prescription and moving on. Well, you can do that with those numbers, but, uh, you know, unless, and Steve's right, unless you're going to pass some sort of legislation that is going to require the pharmacist to uh, not return that prescription that they believe is forged or suspicious, or then you have to identify who it is. And then the other part of it is if they, if a person does leave, you'd have to have some sort of legislation or regulation that requires a pharmacist to enter that information. You know, even if they let it go out the door, they'd have to enter it. And that seems like a, a you know a tall order to deal with that, and I don't think it's going to solve that problem. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot wrapped up into that, so <laughs> I'm going to try to break down uh, the points that I could remember. We hit a lot of really important points there. Some field that should be tracking of the number of attempts. I would argue that it's already kind of being done. And just to back up a little bit and talk about how the PMPs work, most PMPs operate on a system where prescriptions that are dispensed are reported to the PMP. So uh, that means, you know, once the prescription has actually been sold to the patient, the patient takes possession of that drug, that either then or the following day, that information is reported to the PMP. So kind of lumping in any and all unfilled prescriptions together into one group, we can call, you know, a, a suspected false or fraudulent prescription to the group of a drug that may be out of stock, something that you don't have in stock, something that's not covered by the insurance. In all those cases, the prescription hard copy would likely be given back to the patient and that drug would not be filled. In all of those cases, none of those are ever reported to the PMP because they never get filled or dispensed or given to the patient. So there's no way to track that currently. Now, specifically setting aside just the false or fraudulent suspected prescriptions, a couple problems I see with that is the first, you're asking a pharmacist to make a determination about a prescription and then to take full liability and responsibility for flagging that drug as a false or fraudulent prescription, sharing that other information with other pharmacists who then may withhold that drug at another pharmacy when there is a chance that it could be a 100% valid or legitimate prescription. So at least in our state, Pharmacists are protected by law and, and are allowed to withhold a prescription if they suspect fraud until the police can come and make a determination. Uh, our system is set up, though. We have great communication uh, between the, the Delaware State Police, the DEA, Board of Pharmacy, and the Office of Controlled Substances. When there are suspected fraudulent prescriptions currently, uh, communications go between all the agencies and alert is automatically sent out by email to every single pharmacy every regional chain, every district manager, every single person that we have information for to let them know. So we can get that information out in real time. That way, we're not waiting for a prescription to be filled. But on the tail end of that, we are able to track fraudulent prescriptions that are actually passed. And we have a number of times, once we get a complaint from a law enforcement officer or they open an investigation into uh, a claim of fraud, if a prescription got filled, there's a record of it. So we do have that information. Uh, it all just goes back to kind of that you have to determine whether or not the prescription actually made it into a patient's hand or not. If it did, we have the ability to track it. If it didn't, just like any drug that isn't filled for any reason, you wouldn't have that ability to track it anyway. But that was an important clarification. Yeah, that's right. Because I think the call of the idea you know, that somehow you're going to be able to, you know, someone attempts to 
pass a fraudulent prescription, how would you track that? You'd have to confiscate it or you'd have to require the pharmacist log the data in that somebody tried to pass a fraudulent prescription. Let me just ask you guys too, what what do you think that the states could do better? Like what would you recommend states do better when it comes to this whole issue of PDMPs working together or something like that? I'll start with Steve. What do you think? Well, I, I think there are some gaps. For example, between Ohio and Kentucky, in, in the Cincinnati area, there are a lot of patients that go back and forth. And, and in Ohio, an advanced practice nurse can have access to our PMP, and in Kentucky, they cannot. So a, a patient coming from Kentucky to Ohio, and if the treating uh, healthcare professionals, an advanced practice nurse, they can't see the Kentucky data. And, and in fairness, Kentucky, I believe, has just very recently fixed that. But I, there are other like issues around the country. And I think working to harmonize, you know, what is the best practice for who should have access, I think, would, would be a, a good step. And the law enforcement piece. I, I believe that the, the Department of Justice has a strong desire for law enforcement to have access to this PMP data, and some states, you know, require as much as a a search warrant to to get the data. And I think for the the argument that DOJ should fund and not intercede, I think think the states need to take a step and, and, and look at that. I think there's a big difference between using the data for a particular criminal investigation and allowing the world to search the data are, are two very different things. And, and I think one of you earlier in the call talked about how, how diligent the states are in, in guarding the, the patient data. And, and I think that needs to continue. But I think there probably needs to be some more uh, harmonization with the law enforcement piece and, and who can access to the data. That, that's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. How about you, Jason? What do you think? How would you like to see the states and what can they do to improve? Well, I, I do want to say states have really come a very long way. Uh, I do want to give some credit. States are really harmonizing a lot more than they have in the past. And states are working together very seamlessly in most cases. I, I think where we have room for improvement is there. there is still just this small stack of states that think a little bit differently from the majority of states. I think it's important when we're making our decisions as states, um, they're, they're not personal decisions. And we're thinking about the residents of our state. We're thinking about interoperability with other states. We're being respectful of uh, individual state laws and privacy issues. And we're not working to undermine other states. Like I said, the majority of states in this country work together and they work together very well. Most of us, talk to each other on the phone, text message each other, wish each other happy holidays and birthdays and things like that. We're very close. There's just a handful of states that have very different objectives, and it's hard to kind of understand exactly what they are because they just don't seem to align with the greater good. So really, uh, the best I could say is, you know, for the states who just don't seem to align with programs that are working well, systems that are working well is, you know, try try to think objectively, try to think for the greater good of, of all of the states working together with one common cause. And that's either protecting patient safety, it's always protecting patient safety, uh, whether it's in the light of 
using a PMP for healthcare or using it for law enforcement. We're, we're about protecting patients and protecting citizens. So um, that's the best advice that I can give. Well, that seems like a perfect place for us to conclude our discussion. And I, I want to thank both of you for being here. And I'll just echo what Jason said. And I know Steve feels the same way. That this is about protecting the public and pr- protecting patients and trying to do the best we can and help our brothers and sisters in the medical community so that they can make better decisions and um, help their patients out because that's the ultimate goal. So I want to thank Steve for being here and congratulate you in Ohio because I think you guys are ahead of the curve and do a great job and keep up that good work because a lot of us learn from that and find better ways to improve our states. And I want to thank Jason for being here and serving on the executive committee and, and all your insight and really appreciate you guys and your expertise. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. On behalf of the executive board of NASCA and our education committee, I want to thank our guests for coming on the podcast and sharing their knowledge and ideas. I also want to thank our platinum, gold, and silver sponsors. Without them, we could not provide educational opportunities such as this podcast. You can find all of our podcasts for free wherever you find your podcasts. The music for this podcast provided by Joseph McDade. And if you like Joe's music, please visit josephmcdade.com. And you can support Joe on Patreon. NASCA also invites you to join us at our annual training conference, where we educate through networking, exchange of ideas, and by experiencing some of the best speakers on current topics and trends involving controlled substances. To learn more about NASCA, our conference, and educational programs, visit our website, nasca.org. I hope you learned something and moved forward. Please join us again on our next podcast.